thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. Um, that video, before we get into talking about the weekend, um, I am an Al- I'm Algernon Tennyson, by the way. It's nice to meet all of you. And uh, I have been sharing the gospel since 1989. We started this ministry in 1994, as I got out of the U.S. Navy, uh, I can't swim a lick, and I'm ex-Navy, that's right, and uh, I was on submarines for five years. God has a sense of humor, and, um, and we have been, the, the fun part of what God's called me to do is to share the gospel, and um, that has just been incredibly fun. It's what I love. The toughest thing the Lord has ever asked me to do is fight trafficking. Um, God didn't make me 6'5", 340 pounds to be a wimp. Um, there are times where I don't want to lay this hand, but I want to lay this hand. And like I said in the last service, before any of you try and pass judgment, I thought he's supposed to be a godly man. I, I, I'm a man. I'm a Christian, a Christ follower, a Christian. I'm not the Christ. I'm human. I have emotions. And, uh, and right now, I checked. We have 203 girls. We have 25 safe houses. We're housing 203 girls that we have pulled out of. Because there are kids in here, I've got to be careful. I'm use cold words. Let's just call it human trafficking because we're in church, okay? Uh, we pulled 200, we got 203 girls out of state. Some have left recently, but we still have 203 girls that we have pulled out of human trafficking. Um, the youngest little thing we had rescued lately was eight. So we estimated she was probably around five or something. But if y'all, if y'all know what I'm talking about, ask your mama. Okay, she's eight, and my oldest right now is about 29-year-old. And um, it's hard. My wife will tell you there'll be many times I'll come home in tears, not from this part, but the trafficking part, um, because that, that's a child to me. And uh, I have boys, but it doesn't matter. I mean, there would be no sermon y'all could give me if those were one of my daughters. I mean, y'all really, go ahead and start a prison ministry, because I'm probably going to be up in there, because I'm going to choke a fool out. That's right. Don't y'all look at me like you're so spiritual. Some of you mamas will jump off this stage and claw fools' eyeballs out if you see them messing with your babies. And so would some of you fathers if you worth your weight of anything. Me and the pastor were even talking, and he's got girls, and he said, Al, there'd be nothing you don't even understand, Al. I said, man, you love the Lord. He goes, yeah, I love the Lord, but touch my babies. <laughs> and you about to meet the Lord. And I thought, hey, man, I could sit under his teaching. I told him, I said, you would be my pastor if I lived here. I love that passion, right? I love that passion, so pray for me. And my table out there, it all goes toward my girls. I tell people I've adopted two boys. My wife and I were blessed of the Lord to not have children naturally. Okay, it's a blessing. I'm a 50-year-old man, so don't be praying for no miracles. All right? It's a blessing of the Lord. And both of our boys came out of that trafficking arena. So we've adopted our boys. My oldest is now nine. The kids have heard me say that. He was the cutest little chocolate baby. Mm. He's like a little chocolate marshmallow with a little Jackson 5 afro. Mm. He looked like a little baby Snoop Dogg. Oh. Cute little chocolate. Mm. My second son's the cutest little white baby boy you've ever seen. Mm. I want to make some s'mores out of that joker. Cute little marshmallow. That's right. I love ethnicity. I'm so thankful that the Lord has given me sons of, of different ethnicities. 
Uh, I want my house to look like the International Farmer's Market. I want every ethnicity you can think of. My wife's this 5'11", white girl, tall, model, whatever, but we would have had beautiful little Bruno Mars-looking babies anyway. <laughs> I mean, some mixed little babies running around. I just love life. I love diversity. And you guys, hear me. We talked to your kids um, this weekend about freedom. Freedom, but freedom that the gospel brings. Not Fox and CNN, not being a Republican or a Democrat. I'm not trying to create any citizens of America this morning. I'm trying to create some citizens of heaven. Okay? So if you came this morning wanting to hear a message about your ex-husband getting a taste of his medicine, you came to the wrong sermon. This ain't about your bullies getting a taste of their medicine. I pray that you're kind to those who've hurt you. I pray that you're loving to your bullies. I pray that you pray for those you can't stand. So if you're in this room, you don't like Trump or Biden, pray for them still. I ain't saying that they were great. I'm saying pray for them. Because remember, we're on mission. We're Christians before we're American. I got folk mad at me now because I said I wanted to pray for the officers who shot Amar Arbery and George Floyd. You'd have thought I said I didn't like black people. All I said is I want to pray for those officers. And then a certain person said, those guys deserve the death penalty. And pastor, I said, Jesus has already taken that on. He said, oh, they deserve the death penalty. I said, no, Jesus did that. They deserve grace. My community ain't supposed to say that right now. But my community is greater than those who have my melanin. I'm a Christian before I'm black. I'm a Christian before any political allegiance. My allegiance is to the Lord. I'm a Christ follower before I'm anything. And if black folk, Republicans, Democrats trying to tell me to do anything contrary to that word, I ain't rocking with them. I'm a Christ follower first. You don't determine how I treat you. Christ does. Christians don't believe in karma. Ain't no boomerang faith. No. Christians believe in grace and mercy. Grace and mercy. Won't believe in revenge. Revenge is the Lord's. I'm a black man. It's never been sexier to be black and angry. But not if you're redeemed. Not if you're redeemed. Yes, I've had racism toward me. Matter of fact, I didn't deal with racism until I got in the church. The ugliest I've ever dealt with was in the church after preaching a lot of times. People come up and blast me. Can't believe he let a black guy preach to us. I mean, just blast me. And yet, God would tell me, so what if that person's filled with hate? They shouldn't determine what you're filled with. You don't get to hate them back. Try saying that in my family. Well, I was raised up. You treat people the way they treat you. I get saying, God says, no, you treat people the way I've treated you. So, Lord, it'd be so much easier for me to knock a fool out. <laughs> and y'all, because I'm a minister, especially when it comes to fighting trafficking, y'all may think it, the first time you see someone 50 and 60 kissing six, seven, eight-year-olds, the rage you'll feel in your heart. And I don't always want to pray for them, but because I'm clergy, I've come up with an excuse. I can say, well, I was trying to practice an exorcism, and they had demons, and I just started laying hands on the demons. And I heard something crack, but I thought he had a legion, so I just started stomping. <laughs> and when he stopped moving, I didn't know, know he's dead. I just thought that meant the demons left. Exorcism gone wrong. <laughs> Y'all think I'm last. I'm serious. I'm, I'm a minister. I've thought crazy stuff like that because my emotions get in the way. So if you got your Bibles, go with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And while you're going there, I remember 
my first couple years of rescuing young ladies off the streets, and my wife and I had 11 failed adoption attempts. And the, the one, we finally had a young lady in the house. Oh, beautiful little mixed little girl. We called her Leah. And eight days later, the mom changed her mind and then later sold them to another couple, which that's illegal. That's like child trafficking. I was so fired up. And the Lord said, what would you have done to rescue her? I said, Lord, I would have given all my retirement. I would have, I would have emptied everything. He said, when you rescue young ladies, remember they're mine. And I want you to treat them as if they were your natural daughters. Help me today when you go out to the table. That helps me. I don't, I'm not, I'm not, I don't have a Bentley. I don't have a jet. I drove here in a minivan. I did. I'm rocking a minivan. You think I'm a prosperity gospel preacher. You got the wrong dude. I'm rocking a minivan. And when I'm at home, I'm rocking a Toyota camera. I can barely crawl in that thing. My whole budget for the year is $25,000. Some of you can give me $50 today and it not make your family go in hungry. But it changed my life, changed some girl's life. Listen to what Paul says here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. The church is being persecuted. Young people, remember we talked about freedom this weekend? And I told the young people, you're, you're, if y'all are writing this or taking notes or putting it in your smartphone, your biggest enemy in life will be you. Nobody will ever wound you more than you will. Because if you don't get a right understanding of the gospel, you give people way too much power over you and the enemy. The church has been persecuted. Paul had been shipwrecked, stoned, left for dead, thrown in prison. But he had the most amazing faith in the Lord. They throw the brother in prison. He starts a prison ministry. There was nothing they could do to get him off of his mission. The church was being persecuted. They were all fighting over when the day of the Lord was going to come. And Paul has to write this letter to help them get back in focus. And listen to what he says here um, in verse 1 of chapter 2. For you yourselves know, brothers, he's talking to the church, that our coming to you was not in vain. They were dealing with persecution and stuff. He was saying, look, look, look. Yes, everything we told you was true in spite of what you're going through. It was not in vain. We didn't lie to you just because you're being persecuted. Paul could easily say that. Why? Because he was being persecuted. My wife and I couldn't have children. And ladies, I love y'all. Mm -mm -mm, love ladies. But y'all can say some of the goofiest stuff. When we were trying to have babies, we'd always had a lady, and if this is you, God bless you. They all had a lady with like five kids, 12 kids. Like she walked by her husband and out pops a baby. <laughs> that's wonderful, God bless you. Mm -hmm. That wasn't the case for us. And they'd always come up and say the silliest stuff that ain't biblical. They go, honey, if you go on a cruise, y'all gonna have babies. We went on two cruises in less than six months. I was going broke. There ain't no scripture in the Bible. What kind of ghetto Bible you got that says a doubt going on a cruise, doubt shall get pregnant. It doesn't say that. <laughs> But the ladies who blessed me the most, I was preaching at this church, and they always V-line for me, trying to say something deep. I said, oh, no, here comes another. She goes, honey, let me just share something with you and y'all's struggle to get pregnant. I said, oh, here we go. She says, see that 15-year-old over there? I said, man, she got a teenager. Talk to me about trusting Jesus. She said, um, I've had three miscarriages. The Lord's got three with him. She said, isn't he good? He at least gave me one baby. She was radically worshiping. Me and my wife looked at each other. We were pouting as if God owed me something other than Jesus. 
He'd already given me his son, but I was like, I'll really love you if we can get pregnant. The if always shows where your real affections are. I love you if I don't get COVID, if we could have children. Then you have kids, and my wife said, Lord, I really love you if we get a break from them. <laughs> Y'all know I'm telling the truth. My kids be blocking all the time. I was supposed to be gone for a whole month. They let me off a day early in Gainesville, Florida before coming here. I snuck home, came home. Me and my wife were flirting on the way home. You know, I'm married. I thought, yeah, baby. I get home, I said, whoa, whoa, you don't seem like you're in a flirty mood. Well, this was acting crazy. This been broke something. I thought, what I got to do with me? My kids be blocking. This is real life. It's just real life. And Paul was saying, look, you're going to deal with some real life. Young people, I know y'all ain't married yet, but don't let us fool you. Ain't no couple staring in each other's eyes all day. Who's going to feed their little nappy head kids? <laughs> y'all know I'm telling the truth. Y'all know I am married, people. Past when we first got married, we had to go to marriage counseling, premarital. My wife was in the romance novel. There's always a handsome guy. He lives at the gym. He was swole like that dude y'all had up here doing worship. <laughs> I'm going to look like that in heaven, y'all. But not till then. I love food too much. <laughs> There's always a handsome guy on the cover. He's got the shirt buttoned down. Wind's blowing through his hair. He still has hair. He's got a rose in his mouth. He's speaking French or something. I don't know. Wee oui, wee. Oui, that's all I know. They floating down the river. He in the little canoe. I told my wife, what that fool going to do when they quit floating down the river? Does he have a J-O-B? <laughs> y'all be floating down the river singing poetry to you all day. Where y'all going to live at? In your mama's house till he's 60? You got to keep everything in perspective. People, Paul's saying, look, Things are going to happen. Life ain't going to be fair. Matter of fact, watch this. I got to hurry. Come on, listen to this. We're going to have some church up in here, y'all. He goes, verse 2, for though we had already suffered and had been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to do what, y'all? Declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Even though they were being persecuted, they had been beaten. He said, we didn't lose our mission. We didn't stop the fact that the world was coming against us from us sharing with you the good news of the gospel. America may not be what you want it to be. Politics, finances is uncertain. Try and build a house right now and get some material where I'm at. Good luck. Politicians are crazy. Everybody crazy. Christianity seems to be under attack. What are you going to do? We're not the first generation to deal with some adversity. The early church went through way more than we did sitting in an air-conditioned, heated building. And Paul says, yes, it was tough, but don't you lose your mission. Christ is preparing a much better place for you than anything this earth can offer you. So yes, you might suffer, but you didn't suffer to the point of shedding your own blood. The worst thing somebody can ever do is backslide from the church because they're going through suffering. That person has never read a Bible. Every one of the disciples died for their faith. The Bible says God didn't even spare his own son, but gave him up as a ransom. Jesus was without sin, and God let him suffer. What makes you think you get a pass? 
Y'all ever hear somebody say, I ain't come back to church because somebody got COVID. I lost a loved one, a child. Somebody got sick. I'm like, if suffering means God's not good, then who did he hate more than Jesus? That brother suffered immensely. So Paul said, yes, there was much conflict, political stuff, racial tensions, all kinds of stuff in America going on. And too many Christians are letting Fox and CNN be the Holy Spirit for them instead of the Scriptures. So mad they can't love on somebody who voted differently than them. So mad they can't. I don't have to agree with what you're doing, but I can still love you. Do y'all hear that? I don't have to agree with what you're doing. If you're struggling in this issue, I'm not picking on you. But I have a friend who struggles with his sexuality. Notice I called him a friend. But he knows he better not be looking at my ghetto back there. <laughs> Knock him out. I said it at church. <laughs> Tell him all the time I love you, but you better not be checking out this chocolate. That's for my wife. He laughs. We love him. Me and my wife have loved him. We've helped him with his dog, bills, and we let him all know all the time. We don't agree with how you're living, but Jesus still bled for you. He's like, I thought Christians hated all of us. I said, I, I don't like what you're doing, and you better not encourage my boys along that. But you're more than welcome at my house, as long as you ain't bringing all your partners up in here and, and talking that lifestyle. So he'll eat with us, hangs out, loves me. If any gay says anything about me, he'll be ready to claw your eyeball out. He loves me and my wife. Even though he knows we disagree with his lifestyle, we let him know we don't agree with what you're doing, but we'll still go out of our way to love you. That's the gospel. I don't agree with what he's doing. He better not influence my boys with that. But my boys are going to see me loving people that I completely disagree with. And you ain't got to like that. There are people who can come over to my house for a barbecue and they voted completely different than me. And I'm still going to love them. I minister to girls every week who've had abortions. And every week I let them know we love them. We disagree with what you've done, but we don't disagree with you, the person. We still love you. Come on, y'all. That'll preach, Pastor, but it won't. I don't have to agree with what you're doing, but Jesus bled for you. He died for sinners of whom I was one. And Paul's reminding them, yes, you're going to deal with some adversity. As a matter of fact, he says with boldness, even in the middle of suffering, in the midst of much conflict, they still, and even though they've been wrongfully persecuted, they were for just, he wasn't out trafficking children or selling drugs. The brother was preaching the gospel, and they were treating him like a criminal, beating them, flogging them, and throwing them in prison. He could have been mad at God. How many Christians do y'all know that didn't lose their job um, in 2020 when COVID hit and were complaining about Trump, everybody else by, and yet they still took that stimulus check and spent it on themselves and want to complain about what's wrong with the government. And I was like, what'd you do with that stimulus check? You're not unemployed. Oh, I bought a new purse. I bought a fishing rod. I bought, I was, oh, did, they, did the government tell you where to spend that? They want to talk to me about what's wrong with politics. See, that's the beautiful thing about the gospel. It makes you focus on you before I start pointing fingers at everybody else. God makes me look at me and work on, I, I got so much that I need to fix. I ain't got all time to be worried about your drama. Are y'all with me? I got so many things I still need to work on. I ain't trying to worry about your little issues. I got a lot of things too. But so how easy Americans love to pass the buck. That's what we do. We're Americans. That's what we do. If you're not right, your mama didn't cook enough cookies, your daddy worked too much. 
That's what Americans do. We never own up to anything until you become a Christian, and then God curves that finger back and go, wait a minute, you're also a part of the reason why you're so messed up. <laughs> it ain't everybody else's fault, right? Y'all, if 10 out of 10 people think you're a jerk, you're probably a jerk. <laughs> right? It ain't a testimony if you're the only one that believes it. <laughs> I really love Jesus. If nobody else thinks you love Jesus, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> testifying how awesome you are in there, but you're leaving a trail of destruction behind you. Nobody care if you got Romans 8, 28 mug sitting on your coffee desk if you're the grumpiest thing in the workplace. You know, folks be blaming the devil. I'm like, what the devil got to do with you having a bad attitude? You just mean. Nobody care if you can quote any verses. You don't know love anybody. Listen to what Paul said. You're going to deal with some adversity. He goes, for our appeal does not spring from error, impurity, or any attempt to deceive. We're not appealing you on anything that we need. He goes, but just as we have been approved by whom? God. Paul was letting them know, don't you start some movement around me. I have been approved by God, but I'm not your God. I can't save any of you. Christ is the Savior. I have been approved by God to do God's mission. I'm on mission. That's why he says I'm an apostle, lowercase a. You notice in the Bible, it never mentions the word missionary. So where do Christians get it from? Lowercase a. I'm an apostle. I'm a missionary for the Lord. He goes, listen to this. He goes, verse 4, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the what? Gospel. What's he mean by that? If God's entrusted us with the gospel, what does that mean? The gospel is the good news of Jesus' sacrifice. He's overcoming death, sin, the grave, conquering Satan and hell for our freedom. So what's the, if he's entrusted me with it, the gospel, if God's entrusted him with the gospel, Paul is saying God's entrusted me with you, people. There is no gospel that it doesn't matter if there ain't no people to share the gospel with. So to say God's entrusted me with the gospel is to say God's entrusted me with people who need to hear the gospel. I said it to the young people. We will take better care of our iPhone, our cars, our bodies, our stuff. We won't throw our iPhone down on the ground outside, but we'll hurt some, a human being who sits in class right beside us or a coworker, or a spouse or a child. We treat our possessions better than we do people. I can get a new iPhone, a new car, a new house, a new job. You're irreplaceable. I can never get another you. For God so loved the world, it ain't talking about your dog, your cat, and your goldfish. We're Americans. We'll protect animals' rights more than we will babies. It's what we do. But that ain't what God does. He put nothing above human beings. The only thing God allowed Jesus to die for is people. People. And if God saw fit to humble himself from glory and come down this earth and be brutally stripped, beaten, whipped, flogged, nailed to a cross for people. If he saw fit to do that, then that meant there's nothing more important in this world than people. So I don't care how your parents raised you, your grandparents. I don't care if you don't like me because I'm beautifully chocolate. You won't get the favor returned. You don't determine how I treat you. Christ does. And Paul said, God's entrusted me with the gospel. That means God's entrusted him with people's hearts and souls. Nothing more important than people. We'll treat our possessions. We'll make sure we have a retirement account, but we won't make sure somebody else has a roof over their head. 
I have people talking about they'll pray for me as they drive away in $80,000 trucks. I'm like, you stingy rascal. I'll pray for you. They ride off in the $80,000. Pray for me. Write me a check. Pray for me. Well, you go, go out to lunch and eat a steak. See? See how we are? We value things and possessions more than we do people. There's nothing more important in this room, Pastor, than these people. Brick and mortar ain't what makes this church awesome. Sound system and mics and stuff. Whoopie doo. Who cares if we ain't loving any of you? Who cares how good the music sounds and the preaching is if all we want from you is an offering? You don't need the church. The world can, can use you. We're supposed to show you that all Jesus wants from you is you. There was nothing you could bring to him that was going to radically change his world. He owns everything. What is a God who owns everything? Why does he even want us? It just shows how over-the-top loving he is. What do we bring to the table? Look at the trade. We bring our frustrations, our loss, our bad relationships, our bad upbringing, our bad parenting, um, our anger, our insecurities. And God says, I'll tell you what, give me that. I'm going to trade you. Give me all your sin, frustration. What am I going to get? I'll see you, my son, nailed to a cross for your freedom. It doesn't even seem like a fair trade. All you bring them is your sin, your folly, and your drama. And he says, I'll, I'll trade you that. What am I going to get? I'm going to give you freedom through my son's blood. Who does that? Nobody but our God. Only the Christian faith makes that boast, that God created us in his image, we blew it, and God himself died to bring us back. Every other religion, and I'm not calling us a religion, because I'm not trying to offer you a religion. I'm trying to offer you a person called Jesus. You can get religion anywhere. I'm trying to offer you a real person called Jesus. You blew it, and he's the one that was drugged through the streets like a criminal. You weren't drugged through the streets of Tennessee for your sins. Jesus was drugged through the streets for your sin. And the Bible says he did that with joy. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He wasn't passionate about pieces of wood that he created, that he died on. That cross meant people. That's why they, go and read it. They thought he was weird that he embraced the cross, but he wasn't embracing it. He was embracing people. They thought nobody else has ever embraced the cross, neither did Jesus. He embraced what the cross meant. The cross meant freedom for us. 2,000 years later, we'd be sitting in an air-conditioned, amazing building. How much persecution are we dealing with right now? All I'm worried about is what I'm going to eat for lunch on the road. He went through all of that so that you could be sitting here in your comfortable, hygiened up, looking good, smelling good environment. But he was treated dirty. And he joyfully did that for you. Hip-hop did not come up with the slogan, love thy hater, Jesus did. Every day, if you're listening, watching, or in this church, even if you don't believe in God, you can only not believe in God because every day he's letting you breathe the very air he's created. Y'all ever thought about that? Y'all, when I was fighting, um, I was at a university doing some apologetics once, and the professor was mocking me. He goes, Jesus is real as a Sasquatch riding across the back of the unicorn. 3,000 college kids laughed. He, he, ha, ha. He goes, Christians are dumb. Trump wants to make America great again. He needs to get rid of Christians. They should maybe go to higher education. They're ruining our education. They're just the biggest idiots. He was vowed. This is a professor now. If I'd have said that, CNN, everybody would have been interviewing me. If I'd have said, well, you're all going to hell too. But he can mock Christians and then go back and teach his class. So I'm leaving the building a little bit later. I see him in the cafeteria. That fool was sitting there eating some good food. 
the Lord, he's just blaspheming you. He's sitting there clogging his arteries. And God, I said, what's the deal, God? He said, Algernon, that's why I'm God and you're not. I'm slow to anger, son. You were once a blasphemer, too. Remember that. You didn't come out to wound a Christian. You let me be God, and you just be my messenger. I have a right to feed him if I want. Yes, he was blaspheming me, but look what I'm doing. Whether he acknowledges it or not, I know I created that food. But trust me, Algernon, I know what I'm doing. I'm God. So God was basically telling me, get in your lane and stay in your lane. I'm driving this ship, and I know where I'm taking it. I know what I'm doing. I can be good to whom I want to be good to. So even if you don't believe in God, you can only not believe in God because every day he's breathing his air in you. Christians, our God is over the top good. If God's loving his enemies, what should you do to yours? Love them, brother. I know that sounds easy. People say Christians are such wimps. You try loving a fool. It'd be a lot easier for me to knock your teeth out than me to pray for you. So instead of taking you out, I'm going to take you out to Chick-fil-A. See if that's hard. It's a lot harder to show love and mercy than it is revenge. We're not wimps. We just appear to be, but we're not. Come on, I got to hurry. Listen to this. I got to hurry. Listen. He says this. He goes, um, verse 4, he goes, just as we've been proved by God and trusted with the gospel, so we speak. But listen to what he says. We don't do this to please man, but to please whom? God, who tests the what? The heart. Paul said, the, the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things. So Paul said the only way you, you know where it is is you've got to ask God to test it. I said to the young people this weekend, you adults will get this. I said, don't mistake your hormones for the Holy Spirit. Come on, adults. My grandfather, you know, when folk get old, they can say whatever they want. My grandfather wears church socks up to his knees, you know what I'm saying? He would say, he said, grandson, let me tell you something, boy. I said, yes, sir. He goes, watch out for a hot mess. He goes, she might be pretty, but if she's crazy, you're going to wish you never married that pretty thing. Y'all know it's true. He said, quit thinking with your eyes, boy, they're going to get you in trouble. Might be pretty, but she crazy. You got to live with that crazy forever. And I thought, ooh, there's some wisdom in that. And he says, look, we're not coming to please men, but to please God, because God tests the heart, because the heart can be deceitful. How do I know if my heart's in the right place? Or how do I know that ain't just my hormones raging? He goes, everything I bring before the Lord and make sure it's approved of God. You pray. You say, Lord, have everything I am for your glory. Everything I am for your glory, Lord. So before I get in this relationship, before I date this person, court this person, marry this person, before I do anything, is this your will or is this my will trying to be done? Because, Father, in the end, y'all, adults, be honest. How many of you are great, have ever asked for something and God didn't give it to you, but then years down the road, you were so grateful he didn't give you what you asked for? Right? And aren't you glad? Because sometimes people say, well, God ain't, God ain't answer my prayers. No is an answer. Wait till you have kids. You're going to say no all the time. My son would be a diabetic before he was 10 if I let him eat whatever he wants. My wife's a registered dietitian. You won't know it from looking at me. 
But she's all in the couscous. I thought it was a cuss word. I said, what is that? I'm cussing me out. She goes, we're going to have couscous. Don't say that for the children. <laughs> she goes, honey, it's a something. I don't know. I don't know how to explain what it is. All these vegetables I didn't even know existed or something. And I'm like, what in the world is kale? I, oh, you won't, girl. I'm trying to lose weight. My wife's like, honey, I'm going to give you something that tastes very similar. I said, uh-oh, this is going to be off the chain. She goes, I made you some potato chips. I said, that's my girl. She said, kale chips. I said, what? You're trying to kill me? This don't taste like the regular daggone potato chip. What is this poison? <laughs> you got to say no all the time. And sometimes God says no because all we're ever asking for is something for ourselves. And if you're a loving parent, sometimes you have to say no to your children because your children only want what's good for them. And sometimes to teach them a lesson, you have to say no to them. Come on, adults, y'all hear me? I got a friend of mine. His daughter wanted to go have a sleepover with her best friend, but the dad found out that that girl's dad had roughed his wife up a couple times. Never his daughter, but we all saw she, her eyes would be busted up. He was one of them old school guys. If you talk back, he'd hit you in the mouth. So he roughed his bride up a couple times. So the daughter's like, we're going to have a sleepover at so-and-so's house. He goes, you ain't going. She said, well, you always keep trying to keep me from having fun. He said, you can slam all the doors you want. You aren't going. He didn't want to throw that father out like that. The daughter had never been wounded, but the mom had. Guess what? I respect that dad. Because as long as she was under his roof, he was saying, you can pout all you daggone want to. But you ain't going over there because what if he has a day where he decides to put his hand on you? Then he says, God forbid what I do. So to keep me out of the jail, <laughs> keep me from the po-po, you're going to stay at home. Guess what? He had to say no, but that was an act of love, y'all. wasn't him being a bad parent. It was him being a loving father who was saying, I will hurt that man if he puts his hand on my daughter. He was trying to, he was walking in wisdom. Sometimes God has to say no. I got to hurry. Listen to this. Listen to this. He goes, oh, Lord, this is so good. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with pretext for greed. God is our witness. We didn't need anything from you. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles. They go, I have a right to ask y'all to take care of my needs, but I didn't want any of you to think that I was trying to get in your pockets. I just wanted to give you Christ and Christ alone. And so then this is where I want to focus as I get ready to close. Verse 7 and 8. But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Paul says we were gentle. What do you mean? That meant before they came to the Lord, some of them had to have been his enemies. So even though some had probably persecuted them, Paul wasn't calling down fire and damnation on those who had probably persecuted them. But he realized he'd done the same to the church too. Before he became a Christian, he was killing Christians. And yet, God called those saints to help teach him for a couple years before they released him into the ministry, by the way. People who he probably killed their loved ones had to trust the Lord that Paul was truly a follower. He had persecuted Christians, and now God sent some of them same Christians to disciple and love on him. Paul realized he had to do the, return the same thing. And then listen to this. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. 
He said, give them the gospel and then give them you. The gospel's most effective when it's least about you. Nobody cares how well you can preach if you don't not love anybody. You're going to go out and do ministry? Meet people's natural needs too. I should do ministry and I do open-air preaching. I go preach to all these single moms. I'll be telling them they need Jesus while they got hungry children who were bare feet and hungry. It's amazing how much those ladies listened to me when I went and got some groceries and bought some shoes for their children. How much more open they were to the gospel because I was meeting some of their natural needs. And y'all, it's just money. Don't make an idol out of it. My children, we have a model in my house. Mine is a cuss word. It's an inappropriate word. You can't say M-I-N-E in my house. Everything we have belongs to the Lord. He allowed mommy and daddy, the brains, the education, everything we got, it because we're awesome and we're better than people, God gave us those abilities. So one day, we had some neighbors over. They got like five kids. She's a stay-at-home mom. Her husband's a teacher. No offense if you're a teacher, but they don't make a lot of money. And if you're in Atlanta and you're only making thirty-five dollars to $40,000 a year and you're taking care of four or five boys, that's considered poverty level where we are. So they were godly. I mean, godly couples served in their church godly. My son was in the Hot Wheels at the time. So he must have had two, 3,000 Hot Wheels in this basket. So they come over. As soon as she walk in, her boys see the Hot Wheels. It's like the angels were singing. You can see their little eyes. Like, oh! So one of the little boys runs over. He grabs a Hot Wheel. My son had to be four or five. He runs over. And guess what that rascal did, y'all? He grabbed that car, and what did he say? Yes. He said, mine. My wife said, oh, I know he did. I'm going to go handle that. I said, no, you're not. Dad-dad's home. I ain't on the road preaching. I'm fixed to handle this girl. I'm the spiritual lead up in here. It don't work that way. I'm joking. But I did tell. I said, no, let me handle this. So I go over, and he's hyperventilating. I said, What'd you just do? He's like, uh, huh, 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 daddy, uh, because he knew he was going to get it. I'm a black parent. We'll spank you in public. <laughs> White folks be trying to be all politically correct. Black people will knock you out in the grocery store. <laughs> We're in our house. I'm surely going to spank. He goes, am I going to get a spank? I said, yes, it just depends how bad it going to be. I said, what'd you do? He goes, I took hot wheel. I said, what'd you say to him, though? He goes, I said, mine. I said, son, do you have a J-O-B? He couldn't spell yet. Y'all ain't know what that meant. Do you have a J-O-B? And they ain't talking about the book of Job. He goes, I don't know. I said, no, you ain't got no job. Daddy spent 99 cents. With tax, that thing cost me a dollar five cent. You little ghetto tail, you can pay for nothing. I did. I told myself, from now on, you don't own don't you ever say mine in this house. That family serving the Lord. That kid probably never seen that many Hot Wheels in his life. Your mother and I can buy you more Hot Wheels than you can open. Not only does he get to play with it, if he wants to take it home and own it, if that'll bless that young man's heart, he can have it. They never got to steal anything from my house because it's just possessions. People are way more important. That little kid thought it was heaven. Hot Wheels, barrels of Hot Wheels. Parents couldn't have bought that many Hot Wheels on a teacher's salary. My kid knows, so if you come to my house to this day and you bring your children, my boys have to step aside and let your kids, even if they're playing with something you like, you can get it out of his hands. 
because we're going to treat you guys as if y'all are Jesus. And on that note, I didn't share it in the first service as I closed. I told pastor, I've never seen such hospitality. Y'all got to, I've seen thousands of churches at this point. Y'all got to be in my top three of hospitality I've ever seen. I've never seen such kindness in my life, ever. The love. This is what I wish CNN and Fox would show. I'm up in here with mostly white folk. <laughs> up in these hills. I ain't know if y'all gonna be up here moonshining or what. <laughs> I see them reality shows. And y'all have been nothing but loving. What an amazing place. The spirit is here. And if I was here, this black man would serve and come. I would be at this church and would love to do life with you guys. Our God is good. Give them the gospel and then give them you. Tell them about God. Even if the, the America ain't what it should be, there's racial tensions, our politicians are acting crazy, supply ain't there, it ain't what we wanted it to be. But guess what? Your heavenly home is exactly what it was meant to be. This ain't your home anyway. Quit trying to make it your forever home. Your forever home, Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. And ain't nobody, there ain't no black, white, Republican, Democrat, rich, poor. We're all just brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're going to do life together. So this earth may not be everything it should be, but my heavenly home is everything I could dream of and more. Pray with me. Father, thank you for these beautiful people in this beautiful church. Father, there are some who are listening, watching, online, listening. They think, preacher, I hear you. I'm just not good enough. We're not good enough. They think, well, I don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. Jesus was good enough. We didn't deserve it. That's why it's called grace. He gave us what we didn't deserve. He gave us a gift, his shed blood. So you actually understand the gospel. And that's why some of us love him the way we do, because he gave us something we didn't earn, something we didn't deserve, and yet he gave it to us anyway. And he actually got what we deserve. Mocked, nailed to a cross, and killed. He took on our punishment so that we could take on his freedom. What an amazing God we serve. Father, I pray if there's anyone in this room right now who's been fighting, surrendering to you, that you would overwhelm them right now with your goodness. Anyone watching, listening, that they would just fall on their faces and be overwhelmed with the presence of your Holy Spirit. That they would, they would recognize that their sin will never top your shed blood and grace. That what you've done on the cross at Calvary will always be greater than any shady things we've ever done or thought about doing. May we give them the gospel and then may we serve people and give them us. May we not wait for them to deserve it, live like we do, vote like we do, believe like we do. Whether they're Muslim, gay, Republican, Democrat, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, rich, poor, educated, uneducated. May we just love them anyway. Because that's what you've called us to do. Have your way. Have your way. Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.